Welcome to The Mockingcast, the podcast of Mockingbird Ministries, an organization that exists to connect the Christian faith with the realities of everyday life. As always, I'm Scott Jones, your host, and we come to you every Friday to discuss, among other things, the contents of our weekly roundup piece, Another Week Ends, which we like to think of as our guide to the content of the interwebs for the Christian cosmopolitan soul with a grace-infused passion for life. I'm really excited to announce a format change. In addition to David Zoll and myself, we're going to be joined every week by Sarah Condon. Sarah is a regular contributor to Mockingbird, and she's been on the podcast a number of times. She's going to join David Zoll and I every week to discuss the contents of another week ends. Now, we still will be doing interview segments and other sorts of discussions, but this week, it'll just be the three of us, David, Sarah, and myself, to discuss the content of Another Weekends. I also want to point out that we've got a couple conferences coming up. In March, we've got a conference in Tyler, Texas, Embird Tyler, which is taking place on the 18th and 19th. That's a Friday, Saturday. And our big New York City conference is happening in April, the following month, April 14th to the 16th. The theme, Relief, the Boldness of Grace in a World of Expectation. So the information for both of those events is on our website with a host of other good content. And now, with no further ado, on to the content of Another Week Ends with our newest addition to the podcast, Sarah Condon. So Sarah Condon, say hello to the audience in your initial regular contributing role. Congratulations to you. Thank you. I'm excited. It was like um, the Hunger Games, Mocking Jay. There was a contest, several other contributors. There was, and I won. still living. Yeah. And she did win. And as always with us regularly is the animating force of the zeitgeist of Mockingbird, <laughs> David Zoll. Give me a break. <laughs> I'm here. I'm here. And I'm, I'm animating this conversation as we speak. <laughs> I love it. I'm feeling your power. I am feeling it. And we've got a lot of stuff in another weekend's interesting to talk about, but I just wanted to lead off with this since it's political season inspired one of our posts, which I couldn't believe. So I saw a statistical model today from a professor, a political science professor that using this model, he has predicted every election over the past hundred years. Not, I mean, he's predicted ones in his academic lifetime, and then worked the model back and all the retroactive, except 1960 with Kennedy uh, and Nixon. So he says Trump has a 98% chance of being president. And his victory speech in Nevada made me convinced there might be something to this. He was saying, you know, I did great with the evangelicals. They love me. I did great with the educated. They love me. I did great with the poorly educated. And people started cheering. He's like, poorly educated. I love you. You're beautiful. You're the poorly educated. And they cheered louder. I was like, that's unstoppable. If you can say that. Yeah. <laughs> like, how, how do you? 
<laughs> That's like the guy that, that says to his, his, his wife, like, do, uh, do I look, um, she says, you know, do I look heavy in this dress? And you say, yeah, you should get a gym membership. Lose 10 pounds. Oh, I love you, sweetheart. I mean, <laughs> right. right. So I'm backing this guy's prediction because, I mean, I don't understand how you can lose me. But David, you found this site that's actually apparently not a joke. Make Christianity great again. Yeah, I think it, I'm still not convinced that it's not a joke. It, they're selling hats. But what throws you off is that at the bottom, it's it's sponsored by a bunch of like sort of high profile ministries. But yeah, yeah, make Christianity great again. Um, I I can't think of a of a worse idea in terms of like where we are as a country and and what people are thinking about and how how we can possibly rope Christianity into this entire thing. Um, just it seems uh, really ill-advised. And when is it? When was it? I mean, whenever anybody premises a movement on like make it great again, when was it great? And when did it stop? Right. Well, the tagline like is the so Inquisition. good. Was, did you see the tom- tagline was in a time when faith in Jesus Christ has lost its luster? <laughs> like, what does that mean? Uh, yeah, <laughs> you need a lustrous coat of faith. <laughs> Uh, plus their hats are super ugly. Like if that's our, like, you know what I mean? Like all the stuff was super ugly. That was what I kept wondering about. Like who's wearing these? Yeah. It's like you make, make you... a, make Christian design great again. Right, exactly. <laughs> Do you know what's interesting though? Because Trump wears that hat now again. And I think it's because of his hair. Like, I mean, cause he, you generally see it mostly in outdoor rallies where he'll you know yeah because that hair is that i guess it's some kind of thin comb over that is real i mean it's like it's like rapunzel i mean you grow that for years so i'm guessing it's not wind friendly right it's tenuous yeah well i mean what more human thing than a bad hair day (laughs) well i don't know you know, this might be a thing we could ask your dad sometime. If there was a great era, David, what was it? But um, he would probably be wiser than us. But I think he would say that it's an ill-advised proposition. Well, my brother, John, he's always – he thinks that there has been one great era. He wouldn't, he wouldn't really say politically, but it, it would include politics just because everything was clearly pouring into the same uh, you know, melting pot. But that was the era from 1976 to 1984, also known as the disco era. So he sort mm. of – that is – he, he doesn't listen to any music outside of that era. And I think um, he, might, he might expand that to include all sorts of other – aspects of life. I don't really know what kind of theology was going on during those years, but I know that Robert Capon was writing, so that's kind of exciting. And you know what you could say politically for it? It's bipartisan. You got Jimmy Carter and Ronald Reagan. Indeed. expert in southern studies you it's which i you know before the first time i interviewed you i i went on you know i did some google stocking and i was so impressed because i think i told you i thought like wow is that for like if i could have majored in jersey studies in college like bon jovi right. Bruce springsteen right. you know like 
diners. Like, but I mean, I was so <laughs> impressed. Actually, it. I mean, it's a very impressive academic stuff with culture mm. and social justice things. It's very impressive. Great. So, we have from the toast something about how to tell if you're in a Flannery O'Connor, uh, Flannery O'Connor story or not. Right. And I want to ask you a few, a few of these. Yeah, true or yeah, false. yeah, yeah. So true or false? You're in a Flannery O'Connor. Ah, Flannery O'Connor. Sorry, I am tongue tied. Mm-hmm. If you are over seventy five and you hate every person you've ever met, or else you're fourteen and you've just seen something horrible. That's true, right? Yeah, if that's you out there, if you're over 75, if you're a middle school <laughs> kid listening, gosh, your life might be redemptive, but it will be hard. Yeah. Um, so we can, you could say that's true. Yeah. Yeah. You can say that's true. Yeah. Yeah. My favorite one was, um, and one I related to, and I, I, you know, I really hope my neighbors never listen to this podcast was you often find yourself fantasizing about the grisly death of your neighbors who are, of course, invited over for coffee several times a week. <laughs> yeah, I hope your neighbors don't have broken right? She's just like, I mean, Flannery O'Connor, first of all, I have to, like, full disclosure, I lobbied so hard for our daughter to be named Flannery O'Connor, like, or Flannery, so hard for her to be named for Flannery. And um, my husband just kept saying no. And I finally was like, what's your deal? Like, she's awesome. We're from the South. Like, let's name her Flannery. And he was like, our last name is Condon. Like, can you imagine how bad eighth grade English will be for her when like Flannery, like Condon has to read Flannery O'Connor. So anyway, I have a very soft spot for her. I think she was just remarkable and totally holds up. I mean, you know, as the toast exemplified. So I like one of my favorite ones is you're being horrible to a blood relative. They drop dead. Yeah. <laughs> I, you're in a, you have a superpower. That's true. Isn't that awesome? Yeah. I liked you are a farmer with multiple degrees. Like that was just, you know, like that sounds like home to me. You're a farmer with multiple degrees. You examine an oozing wound on your leg with a dirty finger. I just think, what if I have bad hygiene? <laughs> What about the atheists had it coming? What is that? Oh, that was awesome. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. That was nobody awesome. nobody invited the alcoholic to your baptism. Right. I mean, these are, I mean, these are, um, well, I encourage all of us just to take a look at these. If, um, for no other reason that it might turn you into a Flannery O'Connor fan or it might send you to therapy right. or both. <laughs> On a slightly more serious note, David, uh, we you posted something. You have something in here about the New York Times from the New York Times about basically. It's a really, actually, I found an incredibly insightful piece about from Arnold Weinstein about 
and it's entitled "Turn Away, Don't Turn Away from the Art of Life," dealing with the whole nature of the humanities and their marginalization in a kind of data algorithm, empirically rich. You know, go to college to sort of master the data, massive mining trade kind of thing. And this, I felt like Professor Weinstein here makes a pretty uh, moving uh, plea and an argument for the role of the humanities in human life. Yeah. I mean, this is, um, there's a lot coming out right now about, you know, big data and all the, uh, the ways in which we're all being tracked and tracking each other constantly. But the, the allure of, um, measurement and, um, it, it, it almost, it, it it allures people away from anything that's uh you know not quantifiable so um we we love to be measured and we hate it but we also love it and it kind of tells us where we are but you see this in the the way that the academy is going and how difficult it is to find jobs in the humanities how difficult it is to get people to major in the humanities um and the underlying ethos is pretty troubling because it it really has to do with uh i think it has to do with a lot of fear of mystery ineffability uh moral vision any any kind of uh deeper value that can't be pinned down immediately is sort of seen as less uh less important and um we lose a lot when we when we lose when we lose that and i don't want to sound like a crank but uh humanities are fantastic uh and reading is wonderful, so we'll see what happens. But I thought how he was, was a really cranky elegant at all? thing. How was, how was, was that a haiku? I don't want to sound like a crank, but the humanities are wonderful, and reading is fantastic. <laughs> that, was like, that was like such a positive utterance. Well, you know, you don't want to sound like, whoa, everything was better when I was younger or something, but it does... In my day... In that, because there was something else in the Wall Street Journal this week about big data and saying that it was this in praise of big data. And by big data, they mean that we're no longer having to take statistics of people, like sort of, you know, sample sizes and, and round up and make extrapolate from small uh, populations, but we're actually able to track absolutely everything that's going on. So there's no need to find statistics. Nothing's going to be um, approximate, it's going to be exact. And, uh, that how this is going to usher in this new golden age of humanity. And you just think to yourself, uh, uh, maybe, you know, probably not, because um, what we tend to use our, these kind of measurements for is to beat each other over the head senseless with them. Yeah. Well, and you just, I mean, I, I don't know, I, that piece really stayed with me because the, the romance of life, like in so many different avenues just gets lost. I mean, the, the possibility and the, the hopefulness I don't know. I was having a conversation with um, actually somebody from the Southern Studies Department uh, that I graduated from at Ole Miss, a department that's so dear to my heart. And it was a similar conversation that I've had with people from the Divinity School at Yale. And that was we get such a critique because we're not doing enough. Yeah. We're not producing enough. Results. You know, we're not running literacy programs. We're not running food pantries. We're not doing enough. And, and it, it's so hard to hear that because I think like you're, you know, because I'm reading Flannery O'Connor or because I'm studying the civil rights movement or whatever, you're giving me this lens like to see the world in a different way. And um, and when all we want are results, we we lose that. Yeah, it's I mean, just- Sarah, you, you you wrote so beautifully about that this week, I thought, in relation to Harper Lee, who, you know, it's, it's such a countercultural um 
thing that she did in really only writing one, you know, we all know about go sit a watchman, but she, she only, you know, that, that enoughness, that, um, the, the kind of nonstop oppressive demand for new and better and more, um, that really translates into the sort of law, uh, but that there's something immaculate, beautiful, hopeful, comforting about the fact that only one novel was written and it was enough. Right. Yeah. And it's so yeah, different you know, from it's so different from what we're told about all this doing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And Professor Weinstein's a se- sentence, you know, that the humanistic model is sloppy and has no bottom line. And I I almost wish I, I want to replace sloppy with textured mm. or something something that's because i think there's a symphonic nature to it that i mean it's int- it's interesting i think like there are some problems where i just really need information mm. you know like uh you know doing our trial run of our three-way broadcasting extravaganza <laughs> which is sure to become a huge hit there's an instance we just need information like okay where's the recorder button but and I think a lot of things we do, like, you know, diagnose, but like most of, I think when a friend comes to us uh, and ne- looking for empathy or where we feel like we're caught in some kind of rat race mm. and there's no hope, we, we don't need information. We need a kind of graced imagination, mm. which data just can't produce unless it's interpreted imaginatively. Like, but even that, even the interpretive act is something that, generally data can't provide for itself yeah we need a we need a not more than information we need a, a person we need a relationship right that, yeah uh but this it, this idea that information can can solve everything is um it's very uh attractive it's very seductive because uh, because you're right I, I i do like to know more things you know it, we're constantly certainly with mockingbird we're just we're always producing more new stuff and there's something that's built into the system there but you, for that reason you know exactly how oppressive it is and how uh impotent it is in terms of actually changing a person uh people are most of the great important places in life i think not all but most of them are impervious to information as a change agent mm-hmm. and yeah. we saw where it got biff and everybody in back to the future too <laughs> <laughs> That's a brilliant movie. Yeah, it is. I didn't like the third one. Well, okay, I did like the third one, but it. I like. I mean, one and two, I thought were in an echelon of their own. But the, the third, third one, one does not. have ZZ Top. That's okay. Fair, fair, right? I mean, that's why I say I like it. ZZ Top is, is not nothing. So on a related note, uh, David, are you even on Facebook? I'm not. I'm not, but I, of course, I, I lurk sometimes on my wife's account. <laughs> I'm not just that's a, the I'm worst just a, form of social media existence. <laughs> I'm a terrible hypocrite. Yeah. Now you're a good one. That's actually an excellent form. It's a subtle form of <laughs> hypocrisy, <laughs> which is the best kind. You know, I, had it not been for me, you wouldn't have been outed. You know, I, I feel like if we didn't have social, I mean, social media, there's that. Uh, I don't know, Scott, if you're about to bring up that, that other thing about selfie culture, this new book coming out about American girls, especially in their lives on social media. But I think they said that social media is life and life is social media, or that without, they, but it's also killing them. But without it, they wouldn't have a life. Yeah, yeah, that's what she said. 
I think that's interesting because every time I talk about social media, it feels like this cordoned off small part of life. But, you know, when you get down to it for, for a lot of us, um, it is, it actually, the, everything else is sort of like a, a little small part, uh, component of life and, and social media is actually where all of your emotional and, uh, energy is spent. When you think about like John Adams and Thomas Jefferson at the end of the life, with these famous letter exchanges, right? Mm-hmm. With these political opponents or, I mean, it, it, you know, it, it kind of is a medium where it, it, people are able to connect with people uh, in ways, you know, that, I mean, some of which are deep and many of which are probably less than robust, but, but it is this, I mean, we are, uh, we, we've been cyborgs kind of since technology has come about, right? We always wind up, making our artifacts extensions of ourselves to some degree. I think that that's, you know, I just wonder what does that mean for these girls? I mean, you know, there's an article in the New York times. It's been a couple of years ago about like how, uh, stuff like the twilight series is a response to just feeling like young girls were, uh, you know, really loved those series because they, it was a reaction to feeling over-sexualized by everything else because, you know, Twilight, especially to start off with, is very chase. And, um, you know, I, I, I just... That doesn't make it good. That doesn't make it good. should always be evil. But it's, Vampires should right. always be bad. But, but, it, but it gave them, like, it, it, like, they could restore the idea of a boyfriend on some level, which a lot of them have, you know, lost with hookup culture starting so early. And I was just reading that and thinking, like... Um, these girls like must be sick of sex before they can even have it. You know what I mean? Right, right, right. Like, and the thing is, the thing that's the advanced stuff that maybe you do, ah, you know, two or three years into after you're married, or right. you know, like I think you're okay. I'm trying now. That's the intro stuff oh, to yeah. save yourself. You know, so I don't, I don't want to lose my virginity at the wrong time. So I'll do all these manner of things that most people would be, you know, have to have a, a pretty secure bond with their partner sure. if they'll do it at all. Yeah. Now that's that's become you know the hors d'oeuvre and, and you know it's just a strange it's yeah it's a strange culture it's rough out there man I I just yeah it's crazy it's crazy hey Sarah I feel like you, you're pretty good on social media though I gotta say I, I I'm aware of your goings on and uh, I'm pretty impressed <laughs> why are you <laughs> impressed I'm aware of your going on my lurking daily over my wife's why shoulder. are you impressed I no, post, I I mean, post way nice. too many pictures of my kids way too many pictures like you know they're going to be in therapy right like that's already been decided at some point I'm going to have to stop posting pictures of my son because he's five and I know I post too much and I don't know like I I mean I definitely feel like sometimes I'm seeing particularly them because I post about them a lot this is so messed up but I am like experiencing myself as a mother sometimes through what picture I might take of them and what I might say about it which is just like I was flipping through um I couldn't even tell you what date it was but I was th- flipping through the devotional the mockingbird devotional I was in the office on Wednesday and I was like man I just needed something and it was John's all and it was like, you know, he basically was talking about letting go of control of things in our lives. And he was like, you know, kind of nice, general. But then there was this moment of there there are these things that you really feel like you can't let go of at all, like that you can't stop doing. And 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 your brother was so gentle. He's like, and maybe you need to think about those a little bit too. <laughs> and I was immediately like, 
oh, I know what that is for me. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. I don't know. Wow. Yeah. You're convicted, not just comforted by the Mockingbird devotional. That's, that's, right. a, that's a small file. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> just kidding i i'm uh, i'm i'm glad you know you never the more you learn about social media it's like the same with everything like that no one is um no one is having as much fun as you think they are you know it's like every everyone turns out is just like you i don't feel like anyone is just like me but i'm just kidding uh now the other thing too we had something about, so mark zuckerberg was famous that we would never have a dislike button on Facebook, right? Which I always thought, you know, well, and first of all, I, it's so strange when people like, like somebody's like, oh my God, can I have, you know, my dad has cancer, I'm real struggle, I need support. And then people click like, right. and what are you liking? Like uh, the need for support, they, like, I, like I, there's so many things, or somebody posts something that's some dark political or cultural trend or something, and you do find it intriguing that they brought it to light, to light and you want to sort of get... But I don't like it. Right. Yeah. So, you know, like, so now they have this range of buttons, which uh, my wife was showing me on the train today. That, like, you know, there's these range of sort of emoji like things, which it turns out is simply for the purpose of more mass data collection. <clears throat> is that true? Really? It's, uh, it's not, it's not cool. to bolster all of our emotional intelligence, Scott. <laughs> No, it's not. This is shocking. It's not just purely altruistic to, yeah, increase our emotional intelligence and give us more creative outlets so we don't have reductive <laughs> things like like or nothing. Uh, yeah, it's, it's actually, there is a profit motive behind that, those little five. And I don't even know what they mean. I'm somebody like, people send me sentences and emojis and then they translate them. I'm like, there's just a dancing person. <laughs> A pile of something and like I the smiley face I think you're happy, but you'll get on board. Man. I don't know. You'll I get mean, on board. It, I guess there's a verb. <laughs> I don't know. I no, I, I, mean, I, I don't I I'm not getting them. on board. I'm not yeah, kidding. I, my, yeah, my, my I parents totally... have started texting me those. Your dad and mom are texting you emojis? Yeah. Well, yeah. yes uh, is the answer. It's yeah. uh I don't even I don't think I know how to do it at this point. I've it's kind of one language I just decided I just don't have room <laughs> to learn. <laughs> Now, bitmojis I'm into. I like the bitmojis, but... Yeah, I mean, I just kind of looked at it and was like... Well, so when when people first started texting me, like, emoji sentences, I was like, I'm never doing this. And then... And then at some point it kind of crept in, and now I'll... And now, like, I'll totally do it. And so today when I saw all these options, I just found myself really overwhelmed, and I was like, oh, this is, like, one more thing I'm going to have to, like think more about you know and like more about because I'm because I'm like real I'm like eventually I'm probably gonna have to like have to do this like and, because then you enter this complicated thing right so like a friend puts up you know a cute picture of their kid or like they got a job promotion or whatever and like are they gonna feel like crappy if you don't love it you know what I mean like if you just like it like I mean then there's I mean there's just so oh it just feels so complicated Oh my gosh! Yeah, I didn't. I didn't realize that there was a love and a like. Yeah, yeah. I thought there was like angry, sad. I think I think there are those, but yeah, like that was for me. That was the thing. I was like, oh, am I gonna love or like? Is it take more effort to love things? Like, will that be more of a showing of affection for whatever this is? And oh my lord, I, I'm having anxiety attack right now. 
Yeah. <laughs> oh my gosh. Welcome waking up to world. my brain. Yeah, exactly. This is horrible. I, this is horrible. <laughs> Take those options away. Sometimes more options. It, it, there are often times where we conflate options with freedom. I don't think that's always the case. Isn't that that's the paradox of choice, right? Isn't that what Barry Schwartz talks about? God is the least arbitrary figure in the universe and the most free. Freedom's just another word for nothing left to lose. Nothing. Don't mean nothing, honey, if it ain't free. And feeling good was easy, love. Bobby sang a blues. You know, feeling good was good enough for me. Now, one more thing. Well, there's a, that I thought was just interesting, like beyond interesting, was this New Yorker piece uh, about GIS MAD, which is uh, an acronym for Global Status Maintenance Anxiety Disorder, right? So this is by a gentleman by the name of Gary Cernovitz, who just got upgraded to, was it United's um, Global Elite? status and so he has all this anxiety about losing his global elite status because he gets bumped up you know to a little bit of better status he gets some options on first class and he actually tells the story where he asks his wife if he could pay $500 for a ticket that he could get free for frequent flyer miles because it would help him maintain his global elite Status with United, to which she responded, "You're crazy." <laughs> I think she gave him the five hundred bucks, though. Oh, she did. Uh, well, she said, "Yeah." I mean, the, the, he also he, doesn't he, he uses a line about grace and, and Saint Paul, and doesn't he in there? It's just, just some amazing line. I don't have it in front of me right now, but he's like the the global executive status is is you, it cannot be earned. It just it just arrives one day, and uh, <laughs> yeah, right, right. Yeah, because you don't know how you get it. Yeah, no one knows. There's like some mystery. You don't know what the standards are. Yeah. So it does. uh, Apparently, I lost the deeper meaning, maybe because I was skimming and only laughing at the neurotic part. But um, so perhaps it's a parable, David, for the nature of the way people think about faith. Rather, I mean, a lot of people probably that sit in church pews and whatnot are more. Are, are less enamored by the gratuitous nature of the fact that God has embraced them and more, you know, w- instead being more emotionally charged up about sort of maintaining what is only, it can only ever be a gift anyway. Yeah. I, yeah. I, I, um, the, yeah. I would give the parable of the week though, to the guy who wrote the thing on the Christ hold fast about, gospel beards i think bill brimmer wrote it and he said that you know my 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 beard and this guy's got like a you know zz top length beard and he's like you know it uh it is an example of god's grace it just it just grew i didn't have to do anything it just uh you know give the award to the guy who shaves every day but this beard is there by sheer grace it's just as it, i didn't grow it it grew itself and i thought that was <laughs> it's actually pretty funny it maybe it sounds a little uh uh trite but i i liked it can you grow a beard, David? I can grow. I can grow a hell of a beard. Yeah, but um, I choose not to because um, 
basically, I uh, my wife would never want to be close to me. <laughs> <laughs> I had a beard for like half an hour. That's the standard. Yeah, I had like a beard for half an hour yeah. in college, and um, she's seen pictures, you know, and she doesn't need to see anymore. Sarah, I'm assuming you can't grow a beard. I cannot, but my husband has had a beard the entire time we've been married, except for when he was a volunteer firefighter in New York, and that was, like, really terrifying. I've seen pictures. He looks so. good in a beard. I mean, it's kind of closer cropped. It- Oh, I, I yeah, love your kids wouldn't guy. even recognize him without the beard. Right? No, well, it terrified our son because he our son was born when Josh did that, and it was like, yeah, it terrified him. So yeah, yeah, they're used to it. Yeah, it's interesting. My wife plant has planted tomatoes out on our porch. Uh, we bought a house last year, and you know, it's funny because you know she's built those structures up so that when the plant grows, it it kind of gets supported, but like. You can't, she can't, you can't make tomatoes grow, right? You can do some things in light of the growth that uh, don't frustrate it uh, and maybe make some space for it, but, or you can do strictures that choke it once it grows. But like, it, it's like these, these are like inorganic things and it's the, the organic is always like, it seems like the sweetest things in life um, and the organizational and less organic things. They can maybe on their best days, in a really subordinate way, serve the organic, um, but they can also quickly seem to choke it out, like razors with those beards. I have to tell you, uh, I have to tell you, my husband preached a sermon. It was well, it was at our church in New York. It's been a couple years back, and um, we were growing tomatoes wildly unsuccessfully. And he preached about it. He talked about how we had these tomato plants that died. And there was this guy in the congregation. He only came because his wife wanted him to be there. He was Jewish. He let everybody know that. Nicest guy in the world. But he snuck out during the service. And when we came home, we found three grocery store tomatoes and a pineapple at the bottom of our dead tomato plant. And it was amazing. <laughs> That's great. That's was like, wow. Wow. Amazing, yeah, it was super sweet. Anyway, I always think of that when I think of tomatoes. I like that he. I like that he told everybody, like his religious affiliation. Oh yeah. So, okay, so a CrossFitter, a vegan, and an atheist all walk into a bar. You know how you know? How oh. they all tell you. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. It is funny. It was, it's a. It that was uh, that came to me via my wife and Instagram. It's uh, Instagram, maybe social media will bring back the one or one and a half liner. And lastly, on a more like uh, lovely note, not that beards aren't lovely, especially on Sarah's husband. And apparently maybe on David, although his wife doesn't think so. Uh, there was this, we, we wrote, a, we, someone wrote a piece about this. Um, we talked about in the Mockingcast about this engineer who uh, really was reticent about the Challenger launch. Bob Ebling. Now he's 89 and lives in Brigham City, Utah. And NPR did a story about it. About, this guy has been racked with guilt uh, because they made the wrong call. He did some whistleblowing, but he felt like he didn't do enough and really has inter- had internalized this. And there's been this apparent outpouring of letters and communications to this guy in an attempt to help him Show some, have some grace for himself. 
Yeah, it's extremely, Which, it's extremely powerful stuff. It's, it, he's eighty nine. You know, I guess he can't even read the letters because his, his eyesight's so bad. So his daughter reads these letters to him, um, and one after another, they've come from people. Especially, it sounds like a lot of um, religious folks have written in to say because because he mentioned that he thinks um, you know God really made a mistake. He picked a loser when he picked him because he failed to make his case adequately in front of NASA or the engineers and. Um, one after another, these people have basically been pronouncing um, forgiveness or absolution even. And he, he can only hear it. It's interesting because he can only hear it or he's only interested in hearing it from a select few people. So, so you know, it's easy for these people to say, you're forgiven. Don't be so hard on yourself. But what he mm-hmm. wants to hear is it from the person who has the authority to actually say it, and um, I, which I guess is um, the people who are his direct superiors at taking uh, blame for it themselves. Um, but it's, it's, a, it's a pretty incredible illustration of both how people rush to exonerate one another, uh, but also how we feel compassion for someone who's – buried under a mountain of guilt at 89 and uh you know so there's all this sort of there's a little bit of justification going on there's a whole lot of feeling and heart and then ultimately there's these people saying you know well done good and faithful servant it's it and he's sort of his daughter says is the burden has lifted from this man i mm. i thought it was a uh, it it kind of made me cry i i i this i got to tell you i was um I I used that uh, post that Adam Morton had written about Bob Ebling at a class we were doing in our church. And, uh, you know, I guess people of a certain generation remember that extremely vividly. I mean, I remember it. I was, you know, in, in whatever, fourth grade or something, and <clears throat> we all watched it, we watched it live. But um, after I finished and I, I said Adam's final line, which is not that it wasn't your fault, but that Jesus— comes to you and says, I forgive you, that that is the, the, you know, he told me to tell you something. He said, I forgive you. Anyway, a woman came up to me in tears. She was like in her seventies and held both my hands. And, you know, I'm thinking, oh, uh-oh, what's, what's going on here? And she, she started crying and she said that her husband had worked on thrusters for the challenger and had been racked with guilt the rest of his life. And that, um, my, the hearing about Bob Ebling in in relationship to uh, absolution, uh, you know, and forgiveness of sins, the clean slate that we are so, um, you know, fond of talking about. She said that it was, it was, oh, he was right there with us. And, the, um, you know, it was very real. It wasn't a construct or abstract to this lady. It was, it was life and death and um, tears of joy. I was, I was touched. Yeah, me too. I, 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 um, yeah, the capacity, you know, Frank Lake, the great, the great psychiatrist and theological thinkers, you know, that in our early developmental time, we need acceptance as a gift. And, and knowing that we're flawed and even in early developmental thinking, we have rage and all these, you know, he saw this Freudian language, but we need our source of life to accept us, you know, with all that stuff and us to feel loved and bonded with otherwise we get the sense that acceptance is a reward which leads to all manner of psychological um you know maladies so i feel like it's a, it's it's a i mean i you know our creator seems to have wired us in human development to need 
the word of the gospel forgiveness. So it's sort of like someone at the end of life, uh, people trying to offer him that is a, is a lovely thing. Amen. Yeah. Amen. Well, thank you both of you for participating, being bedrock in your role in the mocking cast and Sarah, we look forward to many, 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 many more. We, we you know, this is it. It's a weekly gig now. Awesome. So you're stuck with us. <laughs> more, 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 more. It's like <laughs> Donald enough. Trump. You're going to be more winning, more winning, winning, winning. Winning. Right. All right. Yeah. I'm excited. It'll be fun. Thank you, Scott and Sarah for, uh, for being here. I really appreciate it. Blessings to you both. Have a great weekend. Bye bye. Thanks again for listening to The Mockingcast. If you like what you heard, please drop by iTunes and give us a rating and a review, preferably a favorable one. And please come to one of our conferences. At the New York conference, yours truly will be sitting down for an in-depth interview with PZ, Paul Zoll, the one and only. So please join us. Thanks again for listening and have a great weekend. <laughs>